Matthew 23 and verse 13. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we recognize your holiness. We recognize that you indeed are other, that you are separate, that you are in a class all by yourself, that there is no one holy like our God, there is no one worthy like our God. You are all righteous, in fact. Your very being defines what righteousness and goodness and love and integrity, goodness and faithfulness, all of these realities find their ultimate expression in you. And in fact, their origin from eternity past is in your perfect character. Because of this, we worship you and we praise you. We stand in awe of you, our God. And Lord, we thank you that you are not the God who created and remains silent, but you are the God who created and you speak. You reveal yourself to your creation. Lord, we are thankful that we don't have to guess about your will. Even as we open your word here in a moment, we will get your word in our souls spoken to us. But Lord, even as you are the God who created us and made us and speak to us, Lord, so many times we do not give you the glory that you deserve. We are rebels. Lord, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, as we come before you in your presence, once again, we are reminded of our continuing need of grace. Reminded of our continuing need of your presence. We are reminded of our continuing need of your Holy Spirit to work in our souls to make us more like Jesus. And so, Lord, we come before you and we confess our sins to you. Lord, we are a sinful people. Lord, we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We do not love our brother as we love ourselves. Lord, we are very much selfish creatures living in a selfish world, satisfied, as C.S. Lewis said, with making mud pies in a slum when in your presence we are offered a holiday by the sea. And so, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us Lord, we thank you that you will cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And Lord, I pray that you would change our loves, change our affections, change our hearts so that we love the things that you love and despise the things that you despise in our own lives. The people that we see in the mirror, Lord, I pray that you would transform to be like Jesus. Lord, I pray that Lord, as we live and love in this community, preach the gospel in this community, Lord, I pray that you would call people to yourself. Let you work through us and our witness and, Lord, to spread the good news of Jesus all around this community. 
And Lord, we do thank you for the Union Gospel Mission as well as partners in Christ to reach people with the gospel and to minister to those who do not have. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and help them to continue to do a powerful work for the name of Jesus among the homeless in our community. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now as we open your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 13 and reading through the end of the chapter. Matthew records the words of Jesus. Do keep that in mind. The words of Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. Blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is, on, that is bound by his oath, blind people. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and him who dwells in it. The one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and, and by him who sits on it. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup so that the outside, the inside of the cup, so that the outside of it may become also clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophets' blood. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your ancestors' sins. Snakes, brood of vipers, how can you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I'm sending you the prophets, sages, and scribes. Some of them will, you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So all the righteous blood shed on earth will be charged to you from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I tell you, 
All these things will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to this passage, and indeed, these are words that will take our breath away. Lord, to hear such severe critique and woes given from the lips of our Christ. Lord, we thank you for these words. That they aren't meant to just correct those out there. They aren't meant to correct those who are obvious in their false prophecy and hypocrisy. But Lord, they are meant to critique those who seemingly are the most religious people in the day. And so, Lord, I pray that these words would not just be my thoughts, but, Lord, that help me to preach what you said. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be open what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A good God will let good people and especially righteous people get into heaven. That's what most people believe. (laughs) If you're a good person, you're in. If you're religious, you're in. If you do more good than bad, you're in. If you look good to the world, you're in. If you look good to religious folks, you're in. If you're sincere in your religion, you are in. But is that what Scripture teaches? Does Scripture teach That it's your works, it's your impressiveness, it's your religiosity that gets you into heaven. Is that what Scripture teaches? No. In fact, what Scripture teaches in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 is this. There is no one righteous. None is righteous. Not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. It's very important when we come to this passage to remember who Jesus is talking to here. These in this passage are some of the most dreaded and fearful statements that were ever uttered by our Savior. And, and our first thought when we come to this passage is to deflect their blow and, and push it on to somebody else. He must be talking about those people over there. <laughs> The Pharisees across the street or the the Pharisees that we see on Facebook or the false teachers that are so easy to point out today. He must be talking about the health and wealth people. He can't possibly be talking about me or he must be talking about who fill in the blank of whoever you think he might be talking about. He cannot be possibly talking about us. We got to be the righteous ones. But I want you to think about who it is that Jesus is talking to here. 
Let me, let me paint the picture for you. Jesus is judging men who regularly attended worship services. They were overseas missionaries. They made religious vows. They tied their income. They were meticulous so that they tried every hour of every day to follow God's law. They built even magnificent monuments to the heroes of their faith. Surely these people get into the kingdom of heaven. And yet Jesus in this passage is saying, no, they don't. And what is their crime? Their crime is one of hypocrisy. Their crime is that they put on a face that said, look at me, look at how awesome I am. They put on a mask in front of people, but inside they were dead. They never came to Christ with saving faith, with transforming faith. They didn't open up their lives and give Jesus an absolutely blank check and make Him the Messiah. Or not really make Him. He is the Messiah whether you make Him the Messiah or not. <laughs> Recognize Him as His rightful due in your life. He is Messiah. He is Lord. He is God. He is King. And it is our responsibility as people to respond to the gracious love of our God. The grace of our Creator. Like last week, I don't want to start by, and I don't even want this message to be about judging false teachers in our society. They're there, we can talk about them, but, and all of us would probably get excited, yeah! Yeah! we got to go after all of them. And it's true. We do need to be aware of the truth of Scripture and the falsehoods that are out there in our society, the false preaching and teaching that is so prevalent in our world today and, and absent of Bible and absent of Gospel. But I don't think we need to come to a passage like this and first of all think, okay, who can I, who can I get at on, on Facebook? <laughs> Who can I, who, where can I go and, and take the speck out of my brother's eye when I have this plank in my own eye? No. When you come to a passage like this, we come to it as God's grace to us that helps us to remove the plank in our own eye before we go after the speck in our brother's eye. And so in this passage, in the woes of Jesus and also Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem, I want to give you seven or six, I'm sorry, six diagnostic questions. Six more diagnostic questions for authentic Christianity. Number one is this. First question is this. I want you to examine your heart and your soul with, these, with this passage. Number one, you will replicate you. Is that a good thing? You will replicate you. Is that a good thing? Jesus says, woe to you, over and over again in this passage. What does that word mean? That word woe is the Greek word ui, which means an intense hardship or distress, disaster, horror. Disaster for you, horror for you. Scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
How disastrous it will be for you scribes and Pharisees. They were the professional religious actors. And to follow them meant to, you were going to be more lost than you were in the beginning. To follow their example, to follow their leadership, to become a disciple of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says it will only lead you to being even more lost. They shut the kingdom in front of other people's faces and they refuse to go in themselves. They refuse to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the Savior of the world. They weren't about glorifying God and they weren't about bringing the gospel to others. The very gospel that they could read so clearly in the Old Testament fulfilled right in front of them in the Messiah, in the Christ. No, they had turned their religion into a self-promoting organization. To make me feel like a big fish in a small pond. It was all about how can my church membership benefit me through connections, through power over others, through reputation, through being a big fish in a small pond. And they ended up shutting others out of heaven by their religiosity and they ended up shutting themselves out as well. How serious is religious hypocrisy? Religious hypocrisy can turn people off from the faith, from the real path of Jesus, and it will leave yourself on the outside as well. Not only this, but it says, Jesus says that they would go to great ends, even crossing borders, crossing cultures to make converts of anybody, especially Gentiles, what Jesus is talking about here in verses 13 through 15. But when they made a convert, Jesus says, he became twice as a son of hell as they were. One commentator even said when it came to the Pharisees, both ancient and modern, the more converted the more perverted. The more converted, the more perverted. That's what false religion and hypocritical faith produces. It produces a people who look very good on the outside. But beware, you will replicate you. Think about it. You will replicate you in your faith. You will replicate you in your devotion. You will replicate you in the next generation. There's two keys about how you will replicate you. You will replicate your faith and practice in the next generation. If your faith and practice is good, if your faith and practice is humble, if your faith and practice loves Jesus and loves people and takes the Bible seriously, you will replicate that kind of faith in the next generation. But if your faith and practice, especially to those who know you the most closely, who can see right through the facade, if your faith and practice are hypocritical, then they will see through that. And that itself will be replicated. The hypocrisy or the turnoff will be replicated in the next generation. Not only is it true that you will replicate your faith and practice in the next generation, but the next generation will amplify your faith and practice. The next generation will often amplify your faith and practice. You get what Jesus said? Jesus says, you will make your converts twice the son of hell as you are talking to the scribes and Pharisees. Their wickedness in the next generation of disciples was not only replicated, it was also amplified. 
Can you sense the danger here in this passage that Jesus is warning us about? Why hypocritical, look good on the outside, no change of heart, no change of life, religion, dead without a relationship, vibrant with Jesus Christ, is so dangerous. Examine your soul. You will replicate you. Is that a good thing? And if not, what needs to change in your life? What needs to change about your relationship with God? Question number two is this. Do you take the Lord's name in vain? Do you take the Lord's name in vain? This comes from verses 16 through 22. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Certainly the one way we think about it so often in the primary way we take the, the Lord's name in vain is by taking the precious name of Jesus or the precious name of God or the precious name of the Lord and attaching it to a swear word or even using it as a swear word and that would be taking the Lord's name in vain. And the Bible clearly says we should honor the name of the Lord. But I think there's a deeper way, another way that we take the Lord's name in vain. When Mandy and I got married, Mandy took on my name. Her name before we were married was Mandy Dunn. And now she is Mandy Southern. She took on the family identity. She took on the family name. Same thing is true when you become a Christian. A similar reality is true when you become a Christian. You take on the name of Jesus. You take on the family identity of our God as you are adopted into the family. Jesus has already said earlier in chapter 23, as brothers and sisters in Him, in Christ, we are part of the family. We have taken on the blessed name of Jesus over our lives when we are calling ourselves Christians. Now, how can you take the name of Jesus on your life in vain? If you bear the name of Christian, but live out a life that does not honor Him as Christ and Lord, then you are taking the Lord's name in vain. And that is what the scribes and the Pharisees were so hypocritical about is they had taken the name of Yahweh, the name of God, on their lives in vain. They claimed to be God glorifiers, but what they ended up doing is making up all of these rules and regulations that were about vows and promises, but instead created this elaborate system of loopholes for lying, and they called that following God. They made this elaborate system of if you swear by the altar, you're good. But if you swear by the gold on the altar, then, oh man, you're in trouble. And they made all of these elaborate loopholes to excuse their own hypocrisy, their own lying, their own taking upon themselves the name of God, but not honoring Him and following Him by their lifestyle. It's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Let's not have any of this nonsense that we can take the name of Christian as an umbrella and as an identifier in our lives and say with that name that we can take some of Jesus' terms that we like and then 
leave out the ones that we don't like and then add some of our own terms to it and call that the Christian life. Friend, that is simply not bearing the name of the one whom we claim to follow. The name Christian means little Christ. It means one who is a follower or a mimicker or an imitator of Christ. And so the question before us is, do we take the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain? Simply put, Jesus won't come into your life and leave you the same. When Jesus comes into your life, He renovates the whole thing. And that is really freeing. It's really freeing that you don't have to try to fix yourself because really, we're all really bad at it. Amen? <laughs> but Jesus comes in as Lord and King and He renovates by the power of His Holy Spirit. Is that true of your life? Are you taking the Lord's name in vain? Number three, has your religion been reduced to a list of do's and don'ts rather than a love for God and a love for people? Verse 23 and 24. The Pharisees' faith had become a ritualistic, loveless, and completely cold religion that was oblivious to the needs around them. They were really good at, at making rules for other people to follow, and they had this tithe thing down pat. In fact, it says there that they even tithe their herbs and spices from their gardens. Can you imagine that? Going to the spice rack in your house and getting out the time and weighing out 10% of the time. I'm going I'm to tithe my time to God today. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Or going out to your backyard and counting your raspberries that are growing on the bushes back there and then counting out 10 of them and setting one aside for God. <laughs> That's a really interesting way of reading that of seeing their lives. They tithed dill, mint, and cumin, but they neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They were concerned about holiness, rightfully so, and Jesus says you should have done those things without neglecting the latter. You should be tithing. But, without, but you should also keep in mind the more important matters of caring for the hurting people who are all around us. Holiness is never at the expense of love. Holiness is meant to fuel love. It's meant to fuel compassion for the lost. It's meant to fuel compassion for other believers and how we might be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. Holiness is never meant to create hermits isolated in religious conclaves. No, we are meant to be people who are salt and light in our communities. Jesus said they had strained a gnat but swallowed a camel. They would strain. In fact, the Pharisees in that day, what they would actually do, there was a law that says you shouldn't eat bugs. Amen? Or certain kinds of bugs, like gnats. I would agree with that. Amen. Praise the Lord for that law. <laughs> it's what I will still follow or try to anyway. But they took it to the nth degree that anytime they would drink anything, they had a special cloth that they would strain it out just in case there was a nap that they couldn't see. <laughs> just so that they could drink 
and never unconsciously violate the law. And yet they were hurting people all around them that they cared nothing about. Micah 6.8, the prophet spoke about this. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's the message of the Old Testament. That's really the message of the Gospel. Because of the grace and power of Jesus Christ in our lives, we are called to act justly, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God, to care about the people around us. Here's the issue. My vision for Richland Baptist Church, I want to be a church that preaches and teaches the Word of God, even the hard stuff. Amen? Is this message a little tough? <laughs> Amen? Is that all right? Amen? Because <laughs> sometimes the Bible is tough, and we need it. Sometimes the Bible calms our soul and soothes our consciences and soothes our, soothes our, our souls with the love of Jesus. And sometimes... Like S.M. Lockridge said, it'll tan your hide. (laughs) And that's true, and I need both. (laughs) I need both. My vision for RBC is that we would be a church that would preach and teach the Word of God, that we'd be passionate for holiness and godliness. That we would be dependent on God through prayer. But here's the danger. If we stop there, And I don't think you can really love the Word of God and stop there. Love the God of the Word and stop there. But if we stop there and don't love our neighbor, and don't build community, don't do the one and others of the commands of the New Testament, don't bring the gospel to the lost, don't serve like through Union Gospel Mission and other ways. I know not everybody can do every little thing, but are you doing something? (laughs) Have you found your gift? And you're serving others with your gift. It's so easy to go through all the boxes. That's the, that's the Pharisee. They were good box checkers. I went to church, check. I read my Bible, check. I tithe, check. I posted all of the right things about all of the wrong people on social media, check. I, I did all of these right things. But if we fail in loving one another, if we fail in what Jesus says, justice in verse 23, mercy and faithfulness, then we strained out a gnat and swallowed a camel. Biblical Christianity can't neglect love and justice and righteousness and holiness. He can't pick and choose among those things because Jesus is all and calls us to all of them. Number four, do you focus on externals rather than internal transformation? Kind of related to the last one, but slightly different. Do you focus on externals rather than internal transformation? Have you ever had a dishwasher that stopped working well? Do you know how you know your dishwasher stopped working well? I hate it. (laughs) Because it'll be in the morning. And I don't look in the cup in the morning. 
I want something to be in the cup in the morning, <laughs> in my mug. <laughs> and so I just get out a cup and fill it with coffee and drink away. I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord, for this small grace that you have given us of passing hot water through this bean. <laughs> <laughs> And I get to the bottom of the cup and I see <laughs> our dishwasher isn't working very well. <laughs> that trap at the bottom needs cleaned out. <laughs> oh, it's, it's one of the most... <laughs> How do you write that down? I don't know. <laughs> what is that word? You know what it means. Oh, I can't stand that. One of the worst experiences I've had in, in, in going out to eat at a restaurant was, I, should I say the name of the restaurant? It was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was a chain. I won't say the name of it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was a burger chain, popular burger chain. And I got to the, I got my Coke and I was down at the bottom of my Coke and I looked in and there were two flags encased in the ice. Oh, <laughs> yuck. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> ah, my immune system is strong. <laughs> oh, that was so disgusting. First Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord looks not at man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Pharisees, Jesus says, your cups, you wash the outside, but the inside is filthy. Your ice is encasing flies. Your dishwasher quit working a long time ago. You clean the outside, but the inside is, is filthy. Jesus says you look good on the outside. He says you're whitewashed. Man, this is tough. You're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. It would have been an illustration that they would have seen right around them because it was right before the time of the Passover. And right before the time of the Passover, there was a tradition in Israel where they would go and they would whitewash all of the tombs. They would paint all of the tombs a brilliant, sparkling white. And you know why they would do that? It wasn't to honor the dead. It was to protect the living. Because if you were to ever touch a grave in that day, you would be defiled. And you did not want to be defiled for Passover. You didn't want to be defiled by touching a tomb so that you could not celebrate the Passover properly. And so they marked them all very clearly so that you would not go anywhere near any of those tombs containing dead bodies that would, that would cause you to be unclean. And Jesus looks at the Pharisee and he says, You are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, so much so that anybody who comes in contact with you is more filthy than before they met you. That's tough. He's saying to them, you are rotting corpses on the inside. Failed spiritual leaders like the Pharisees Focus on cleaning people up on the outside with man-made rules, but they do not focus on the heart. It's like a baseball coach that cares a lot about the uniform and spends hours and hours and hours perfecting exactly the right colors and designs on the team uniform, but forgot to go and practice the fundamentals of hitting and throwing and catching. And they look really good, but when they get out on the field, they know nothing about this game. And it's like that. What is your focus? 
Is your focus on cleaning up the outside to where the world thinks, my goodness? Or really, yeah, other religious people, right? We're more like that day. The world didn't care for the Pharisees in that day. Let's just be real. But they were really impressed, uh, impressed by uh, impressive to other religious people. Do we live our lives to be impressive to other religious people? Or do we live our lives before an audience of one striving for holiness and to be cleansed and converted and transformed from the inside out? Number five, do you value tradition over Jesus? Do you value tradition over Jesus? Verses 29 through 36, the Pharisees and the scribes valued traditions more than they valued God. Now, I want to be careful because I love tradition. I don't think we need to just throw out all tradition and not, be, not care about tradition at all. By no means. There are traditions that are valuable and lead us deeper in a closer walk with Jesus. I love to sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that song. But when the choice is between tradition and Jesus, we should choose the pathway of Jesus every time. We should examine tradition and to see if they continue to serve, love God and love people, transforming into holiness, or does it just serve as a nostalgia that reminds us of a day that's in the past and not in the present. That's in how things were decades or centuries ago and not what God's doing today, which will never contradict his word. Jesus looks at the scribes and Pharisees and says, you build the tombs of the prophets that your fathers killed. What is Jesus meaning right there? He's not saying a compliment there. What Jesus is saying there is the only prophet you honor is a dead one. The only prophet the scribes and Pharisees liked is the one that no longer spoke and no longer convicted. That way, they could build the tomb of the prophet and they could make sure they stayed dead and their message stayed dead. In fact, so much so, Jesus says, I'm going to continue to send you more scribes and prophets. He does that throughout the rest of the New Testament. And how many of them did they kill? Think about Stephen. Think about the disciples. Think about others. They value tradition more than they did the prophetic word. Do you value tradition over Jesus? Last question is this. Do you weep over those far from Jesus? This, the end of this passage is stunning. Jesus ends this passage with tears rolling down his face as he weeps over Jerusalem. When was the last time you wept over the lost? When was the last time you wept over hypocritical, false religion? When was the last time you wept over your own hypocrisy? When was the last time your heart was broken over sin? When was the last time your heart was broken over the sin of the world? Jesus is weeping here at the end. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were 
heart taught to break over the things that break the heart of God. And we need to be praying that we, as a people of God, are once again broken over the lostness and the hard-heartedness over the world and over people who claim religion, who have a form of godliness, but deny its power. I want to spend some time here as we finish today re-asking these six questions, and I want you to use some, a time of silence to examine your own soul once again. Ask yourself these questions. You will replicate you. Is that a good thing? Number two, do you take the name of the Lord in vain? Has your religion been reduced to a list of do's and don'ts rather than a love for God and a love for people? Do you focus on externals rather than internal transformation? Do you despise or embrace God-sent correction? And do you weep over those far from God? Let's spend a moment in silence asking God to work those questions in our souls and then we'll respond. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for your graciousness in giving us your words. And Lord, this passage addresses a particular aspect of our fallen condition, Lord, that we need to be confronted in. Lord, where we can, we are so sinful, we can even take good things and turn them into hypocritical things. We can take things that are meant to transform our hearts and turn them into works and somehow think that by our works we will be acceptable before God. And so, Lord, I pray that, Lord, each of us has in some way or another a pharisaical tendency in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of these things. Lord, reveal them to us in our souls and in our hearts. First off, to ourselves. And Lord, I pray that by Your power and by Your Spirit and by Your grace that You would transform our hearts, transform our words, transform our actions. So Lord, that our, we would be more and more like Jesus. Because Lord, in our lives and our discipleship, we want to replicate authentic Christianity and not something else. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this time of response as we respond to your word today. 
Lord, if someone does not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, Lord, I pray that today they would be saved. If someone needs to get right with you, Lord, I pray that today they would use this time of response to get right with you. Lord, if someone wants to become a part of this church, Lord, I pray they would make that decision, but work in our souls and our lives during this time of response. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.